the most part, you're not going to see them. Even though they're these giant salamanders, they blend right in with the bottom of the water. Their skin just blends right in, and their body shape allows them to, to get in these spaces under their rocks. There's people that float right over top of a two-foot salamander and never notice it. People may never see them, but in healthy rivers, they may be there and they probably are there. It's part of a healthy ecosystem. It's part of a healthy river system. It's just a, a really neat symbol of our Appalachian Mountains, which are very old themselves. Hello, Bender. Of course, we're the hot spot for, for salamanders in the world, and our rivers and streams have some of the highest fish, crayfish, freshwater mussel diversity as well, and certainly some of the best hellbender populations remaining. I just feel like every time we get in the water, we learn something new. It's hard to explain to people what's below the surface because you look out there and, yeah, it just looks like rocks, and you might see a fish swim by. The thing you realize when you're snorkeling underwater is that it's you know, an entire ecosystem using these rocks, entire food web. There are all these fish under there that you don't see from the surface. There are all of these stream bugs, all the different homes where all these different species live. And then there's a hellbender, and when you see one underwater, you're just blown away. and they really have to have all of those little spaces in between each rock. Different types of rocks provide cover, places for food, places to hang out and stay away from predators. If you snorkel and you look and see a hole, you'll see a hellbender head sticking out, and that's that guy's home. I mean, he might have that rock as his little home for years and years. They seem to just spend the whole year feeding and doing their own thing. Then around the end of August, early September, all of a sudden something triggers the males to go completely crazy and they start fighting with each other. Females are drawn to certain rocks that, have, that a male has staked out as the best nesting rock and he'll, he'll defend that rock. other for millions of years and now they're almost gone from most of the Appalachian streams. You can pretty much imagine that any mountain stream or any any of the foothill streams throughout their range throughout the Ohio Valley, Tennessee Valley up into Pennsylvania probably had hellbenders in the past. I think it's safe to say that we've probably lost 80 or 90 percent of the populations that used to be around. There's an Ozark subspecies of the hellbender that's in northern Arkansas and southern Missouri. Those have already been federally listed. I think it's kind of a scary thing. We're just watching these things decline really, really quickly. One of the biggest issues with hellbenders is siltation. 
you get these big plumes of mud. All that mud and silt just builds up in these rivers over time, and it fills in all these little spaces. Material is just accumulating, and that is what is filling up the space and the, the cavities among these rocks and burying these shelter rocks that hellbenders and other animals need to live and, and go through their life stages. We can really trace the problem of, of silt and sediment pollution back to how we're using the land in these watersheds. They are very sensitive to, to silt and sediment and pollution and where they are not found anymore, those issues are, are a big problem. Hellbenders are one of the first things to go in these places and the problem is once they're gone, they're gone. Here's an animal that has to have clean, you know, almost perfect water quality and lots of food and lots of places to hide. It's hard to find places that are like this, like these last remaining crystal clear, rocky, non-sedimented streams. The best populations are now confined to high elevation, completely forested landscapes. And the only place you get that in the east is national forest land. Basically, the, the big national forest, Pisgah, Nantahala, Cherokee, Monongahela, these are, these are the last places that remain where you have these really pristine streams. Without national forest, hellbenders would probably be just about extinct right now. We want people to enjoy the rivers. We want them to come out. You know, I did the same thing as a kid. I was out splashing in the creeks and swimming and fishing. That's really where I got the love for water myself. So we want people out and be able to enjoy the resource, but we also want them to leave it as they found it. It's one thing to skip a stone with your child, but it's another thing when you're starting to move hundreds of rocks to build a dam or build some kind of chute to get a tube down. People may not mean any harm and they're just enjoying themselves, but moving these rocks around that hellbenders use can, can greatly disturb the spaces that the hellbenders are using. We find hellbenders quite a bit that are dead because of people lifting rocks and throwing rocks. And... So we really tried to start educating folks about that. We started about 10 years ago just putting some educational signs up, just saying don't move the rocks. And we've really had a good response out of it. I think we're well on our way to getting the word out there that they're awesome animals that have awesome habitat, and that awesome habitat needs to stay there. It just comes down to education. I think people are generally really good and want to do the right thing. When most people see one, there's something about them that they look like little dinosaurs. People see that there's hellbenders that inhabit a stream. There's going to be a lot of other organisms there, and they're going to be in good shape. I think people are starting to get the connection between some of those healthy fish populations and things like hellbenders, and it is all connected. People care about water quality, whether it's angling, uh, rafting, boating, just swimming and wading. We all want to do that in healthy rivers and streams. Think about that maybe water that you drink someday. So 
just the focus on healthy watersheds and keeping those streams healthy for, for organisms such as hellbenders. And maybe there's a chance to restore a lot of streams and bring them back to better hellbender habitat, which means better habitat for everything else that used to be here. It's kind of a symbol of our Appalachian mountain streams and an ambassador for a healthy aquatic ecosystem. Hello. I think that's the best intro video we've ever had. That video is so good. It is so well done. And I know it was kind of a longer one, um, but I, I wanted to do the whole thing and I wanted to pick that one because I just thought it was so powerful and just like so well done. Um, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. We have had donations that have come in. Let me go through and thank those first because it was a long video. We got Cindy with $5, Danza with $25, James Harden with $20, Koopa Steve with $77, Darce with $5, Asaprine with $4.97, Conch with $24.25, and KZ with $20. It's gotten us to $181. Um, also, thank you if you subbed in there at some point. Today, those donations, I'll, I'll tell you, before I start talking about the guests, are going to the Foundation for the Conservation of Salamanders. Um, Chubby Devil with $5. Thank you. We're hooked up to their PayPal today, so it goes directly to them. Um, they are a nonprofit organization, so those donations are tax deductible if you would like to make them. But today, it's the 55th podcast, and we get to talk to Dr. Kirsten Hecht. Um, she is absolutely brilliant. She is a salamander fangirl. That's what she she calls herself. <laughs> she uh, is finishing up her PhD at the University of Florida. She's been studying, she studied Hellbenders, which is the video that we just watched, for over 12 years. Um, Warbur, thank you for the $20, and M-Law with the $10. Uh, but currently, her projects are focused on common mud puppies and sirens. So if you don't know what that means, if you have any questions, feel free to ask them. You can use the ask bot. Uh, so just do hashtag ask followed by your question. It'll send them into a doc for me and I can read them to, um, and I can read them out to Kirsten uh, as, we, as we go along. Yes, Orion is in the back. If you don't know who he is, this is my falcon. He's a peregrine prairie falcon hybrid. Um, he's antsy because he really just wants to fly. We're flying tomorrow, um, but it's been raining, so he hasn't been able to in the past couple days. Uh, Jude Bracy with $50, Voyage with $5, Rodney with $5.55. If you hear that jingling, he's got bells on his ankles for when I free fly him so that I know where he's at. Um, it's just him moving around a little bit on his perch. Um, okay, you can do Commando Ryan if you want to know more about him. So... Dr. Kirsten Hecht, um, 
Kirsten is also on the board of directors at the Foundation for the Conservation of Salamanders. Their mission is to spread information about the threats to salamanders and their habitats, to increase awareness about salamander biodiversity or diversity, biology, and conservation, to raise money for conservation, and to fund salamander research initiatives through an annual grant. They have several other initiatives that I'm sure we'll get to talking about today. Um, but again, your donations go go directly to them today. But Lita, thank you for the ten dollars. I'm glad you're a fan of salamanders. Um, there's always a quiz at the end of the podcast. I'm hoping that uh, there, there may be a couple changes, good changes, exciting changes to the quiz today. Uh, if all works out, we've been working with the quiz kit team because they reached out and they really like what we do with the quiz on the podcast. So that's big time. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if it works today. And if it doesn't, that's okay. We'll get it all sorted next week. But there's that. Um... Am I forgetting anything? Hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean the poll. So I meant beyond the poll. I'm trying to think of if I'm like forgetting to introduce something. Guest. Oh, uh, if you want to follow Kirsten social, she's really really great on Twitter um, at Hellbender Hex. But you can do Command Guest if you want to get to Kirsten's Twitter and Command Org if you want to read more about the Foundation for the Conservation of Salamanders. Um, okay, so at the beginning of these podcasts, now uh, we just started this, but we are doing a poll. Sketty, thank you for the five dollars and Fin Saver with the ten dollars. Thank you so much. Said so first time viewer, but first time watching the podcast, but long time viewer. Nice, welcome. Um, okay, so we're gonna do a poll, and Space is setting up the poll. Um, I don't want to phrase this question wrong. How do we phrase this? How did we phrase this question last time? Is it how much do you care about the conservation of Space, could you copy-paste the question for me so I can read it properly? Oh, no, here it is. How much do you care about the conservation of salamanders? So, right off the bat, that video was really powerful, so that might have changed the might have changed some of these numbers already, but off the bat, without knowing anything about salamanders or whatever you already know about salamanders, if you could answer that poll for me, that would be absolutely brilliant because at the end of the podcast, we'll ask the same poll uh, so that we can gauge... Um, you know, how much you guys learned and, and how much you liked it. Uh, speaking of how much you guys learned, there's a quiz at the end of the podcast, like always. And I just, I know I just mentioned it. Five questions, 20 seconds to answer each question. And you win the, you win the quiz based on how many questions you get right and how fast you get them right. Um, if you win the quiz, you get a gifted sub to my channel or I'll gift you a sub to a channel of your choice or you can ask me to donate an additional $5 um, to the Foundation for the Conservation of Salamanders. The poll results are in. 55% say they're neutral about caring about the conservation of salamanders. Uh, four gave it a four. Or, no, I'm sorry. 26% gave it a four. Uh, 9% gave it a one. 6% said five, it's extremely important to them, and 4% said two. All right, so we will save the results of that poll, and then um, we'll save the results of this poll, and then at the end of the podcast, we will do the same poll, and we'll see how that changed. Skipper, oh, oh, shoot. Um, Ed with $10, thank you so much. Skipper with $19.89. Babyface Johnny with $25. And A-Zippy with $200. A-Zippy? Hello? Thank you for the $200 donation. 
What on earth? Okay. A Zippy with 200. So we've hit our $500 goal. Now we got a $1,000 goal. We're at $557.43. Cool. Are you guys ready for me to call up Kirsten? There have got to be so many questions. This is, this is such an interesting podcast. Um, they all are, but I'm really excited for this one. She's very nice. She's, she's one of the enthusiastic ones. I'm, I'm excited. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, if I'm not missing anything, I'm going to be back in just a minute with Kirsten. Cool? Cool? Yes. Yes. Cool. All right. See you in a second. Could you turn on your camera? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, yeah. let's see if this is working. Hopefully it's working. Almost. Okay. Um, <laughs> hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I just did our, our intro. We watched that video. I can't get over how good that video is. Um, I know it's amazing. It's so well produced. Um, and then I did an intro of you and I talked a little bit about the foundation. Um, we're at $557 raised so far. Oh, that's, um, that's so awesome. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. So if you want to introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about the foundation and uh, and what you do uh, with them, that would be awesome. Sure. Um, so my name is Kirsten Hecht. I actually just finished my PhD, so I'm not entirely familiar with getting called doctor yet or having a PhD, but I am there. Congratulations. Um, thank you. That's awesome. It was a long road, so I'm very grateful to, <laughs> to get there. Um, so going back, I'm basically what I call an interdisciplinary ecologist. So I actually work in multiple fields and I'm really interested in conservation. So I originally came from an aquatic ecology background. So a lot of my work, you know, as you saw with hellbenders, I was working in streams. I've worked with hellbenders. I've worked in mud with mud puppies, which are another um, salamander. I've done a little bit with sirens, um, which are another really, really cool aquatic salamander in the southeast of the U.S. Um, and then I went back to grad school and I sort of started recognizing that a lot of conservation issues are often tied with um, cultural and societal issues and we're working with animals that a lot of people aren't usually super excited about. 
So I started focusing a lot on um, public engagement and communication type things. So I ended up doing that for my PhD, um, but I'm still really involved in the conservation world and I love doing biology stuff when I can. So I sort of sort of go between those two worlds now, which mm -hmm. is actually a really unique and interesting experience for me. Um, other than that, I'm also a mom, so I like to tell people that. So <laughs> I, I've, I've done all this being a parent as well, and it's awesome because I get to take my son out to go. Um, we call it harping when you're going out looking uh -huh. for, for reptiles and amphibians. And um, so that's great. And, you know, in my spare time, I'm kind of a nerdy individual. I really like Doctor Who and like all that nice. stuff. So that's like my side of things. Um, as far as the foundation, I have been involved with it for um, a few years now. I got really excited about it because, um, you know, amphibians are having all sorts of issues going on. There's a lot of massive declines where populations are disappearing or shrinking in areas. And there's a lot to be concerned about. But the majority of amphibians are frogs and salamanders are kind of this group. They make up of like a little less than 10% of amphibians. And... Um, they don't get a lot of attention, I think. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't really recognize the difference sometimes between salamanders and lizards. Um, they get mixed up a lot, and they don't always get the attention that some of the other uh, groups do. And I, I think that's funny because in the grand scheme of things, all of the reptiles and amphibians don't get a lot of attention for right. the most part. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like even in the scheme of that, the salamanders are kind of overlooked. So I was really excited about this group because it's the only one that really focuses only on... Um, working on conservation of salamanders. Yeah. So the original group of people that started it, um, I believe were all from zoos. So they were zoo folks and they actually started out with a thing called chopsticks for salamanders. Yes. And we still do that. You can buy reusable chopsticks on our website. But um, the reason that came about was because um, like, like I think it was like I don't even know what to call them anymore. Like the two thousand two thousands. I don't know what you exactly uh -huh. you call them at this point. But like the later part of that decade, there was a lot of attention going on um, about disposable chopsticks uh -huh. and the environmental impacts those have. Especially in Asia, there was like a whole bring your own chopsticks movement, and someone actually ended up um, opening a factory for disposable chopsticks in the U.S. Uh, and the U.S., which a lot of people don't know, is actually, like, the salamander capital of the world. We have more diversity of salamanders in the eastern U.S. than pretty much anywhere in the world, at least by families. Cool. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of things people don't realize because you think of, like, you know, all the tropical yeah, rainforests having else. all this diversity. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the Appalachian Mountains especially has so much diversity of things. But anyway, it got to be this thing where we started thinking about how we how they could connect people's ideas of like the products they use with the animals that are affected by those products and if there's like different ways that people could think about their behaviors i think something similar sort of happened recently with like the the straw movement and that sort right. of thing so um so that's what it started off as and then it expanded into the foundation for the conservation of salamanders so the biggest thing that we do really is provide um sort of seed grant opportunities for people that are working on salamander projects Sometimes when you give people um, small funds, it kind of helps give them uh, better opportunities for getting more money right. to get bigger projects done. And so we've been able to fund projects from all over the world, which has been great. And a lot of these projects probably would have never 
gotten any sort of funding or attention otherwise because they're focused on salamanders or because they're in areas that, you know, there's just not funding opportunities. So um, we are really excited about that. That's their big thing that we do. We also do what's called Salamander Saturday. Um, we sort of coordinate international efforts to have it's always on the first saturday of um may uh -huh. so it's on may 1st this year we're having to do a virtual one of course right. because you know with all the global covid situation we had to do that last year as well but um before we've had events from all over the world where like zoos nature centers museums all sorts of organizations um have basically just done uh salamander events that day to sort of do this big outreach event about salamanders um and so that's the big thing of what we do. We're sort of a small volunteer organization, so we don't take any of the money for ourselves. It all goes straight to either running the website or straight to the conservation side of things. Very cool. Um, yeah. And so the zoo world ends up still being very active. Like we still have a lot of representation zoo world. Um, a lot of uh, zookeeper associations have helped sell the chopsticks at their local zoos, and um, that funding is coming through there. Oh, so. Great. Um, yeah, and we partner with a lot of groups. There's, I can't spill the beans yet, but there's a big amphibian event that's going to happen um, that we're helping, uh, that we're a part of this year. That'll hopefully be right around Salamander Saturday. So keep your ears out for that. It should be announced very soon. So um, yeah, so that's the main stuff of what we do. I mean, a lot of it is a challenge because I think um, with conservation issues around salamanders, a lot of what we have to do is just like tell people that salamanders exist right. and what they're important for. And so we end up doing a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah. So yeah, I hope that sort of... Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, a couple donations, mm -hmm. or a lot of donations came in while you were explaining. So health points with $20, Crowe with five, Monka with $77. Um, Eris with ten dollars, uh, so we're at six hundred and seventy dollars now and twenty cents. Oh, Thank you amazing. guys so much. Um, there have also been a ton of questions uh, that, have, <laughs> that have already come through. Yeah, um, bring them on. <laughs> but, yeah, let's start with okay. Hmm, where should we start? Let's start with Hellbenders versus maybe the mud puppies, the sirens. The I mean. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, basically, hellbenders are, there's different families um, of these salamanders. So hellbenders are the ones I've worked with the most, and um, they were the ones that were in that video if you were here watching it a bit ago. They are all in a family called the Cryptobranchid, which is uh, literally means hidden gills because they lose their they don't have external gills as adults mm -hmm. um which mud puppies have those big <laughs> the big fluffy feathery gills like people have seen gills on axolotls they're pretty familiar with right. those so mud puppies have those as adults too um there are only three species well three recognized species right now there's like there's always a lot of debate you would be surprised how hard it is to define a species so it's a very complicated mm -hmm. term <laughs> but but there's only three recognized species right now in the in that family, the giant salamander family, and so the hellbenders are one, and they get about they get about like the biggest size they get is about two and a half feet. But then their relatives are in Japan and China, and they get like massive, so um, they can get like three four feet long and really really thick. So they are amazing. They're basically just look like giant 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 hellbenders. Yeah, and I like I'm absolutely obsessed with those, but. <laughs> But um, those uh, those hellbenders in the U.S. Um, mostly in like the 
Appalachian mountainy areas of the eastern U.S. So they go all the way from like New York down to like northern Georgia and northern Alabama. Um, so that's their range. So they're usually in these like cool mountain river uh, types and they live under these big rocks. And um, they mostly eat crayfish and that sort of things, but they'll they'll eat a lot of things. But um, mud puppies, in contrast, are really wide. They're a little more wide ranging, um, and they can live in a variety of places. They're also, you know, North American specific. Um, so you can find them. The Great Lakes is really known for having mud puppies everywhere. Um, but they do get down into the streams, like so the rivers that I worked in with the hellbenders. We would find mud puppies there as well. Cool. Um, yeah. And then there's sirens. <laughs> and sirens are like, you don't even, like, a lot of people have never heard of sirens. And, like, even people, I have a siren that I take out to events. Uh -huh. um, and a lot of people that live here and have them, I mean, they're just, like, in the town. Like, you can just go in the water in the town. They don't even know they exist. So yeah. um, they're like, is that thing live here? And like, yeah, <laughs> you can go find them down at the lake right there. So they are a little, they're, they're kind of... They don't have back legs at all, so they don't even really have a pelvis. So okay. they're basically like, and they're really cute. Like, <laughs> part, I think they're really cute. They, they are have really like, cute. yeah, they have little tiny front legs and they have no back legs, and they kind of just they're kind of shaped like like an eel or a snake. So they're just like that long body, and uh -huh. they have gills, and they there's some that get really large, so they actually can get longer than hellbenders, um, but uh, there's other species that are smaller. So there's a few different species of those. Um, and they live um, primarily in the southeast, but there's some species that can get up like into the Midwest in that area. But they usually avoid the mountains, so they're in the areas where the hellbenders aren't. Okay. So um, yeah, so they're but they're usually in uh, they can they can be a little warmer climate, so that's why we have them here in Florida. But they can take like darker water and um, little grungier water than some of the other species and. They are, they can get in ditches and they like, they're really cool because sometimes when it rains, you can see them, they'll just be like, they'll go with the rain that goes across the road and you'll just see them oh, out cool. and about. It's, yeah, it's very weird because they, they're not really good at walking or right. anything and it's very I, strange I thing to see. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, then there's a fourth species, which I didn't even talk about, or fourth group. Um, they're called the Amphiumas, so they're a different family and they're even weird. <laughs> Amphiumas like have, um, they have four legs, but they're just vestigial, so they're basically like oh, they're they so think cute. evolutionarily, yeah, that we're losing those, but they still have the little, <laughs> and they'll like, yeah, they're just like the coolest, <laughs> but they'll get on land too sometimes, and um, yeah, they're amazing, but they do not have those those gills on the side, so yeah, yeah so there's a lot like of totally unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, That's they're awesome so though, and yeah. they will, they'll like. <laughs> I think especially like I've never seen one on land myself, uh -huh. but I've heard stories that they will kind of use them to like wow scoot on the land. That so, is impressive. Yeah, yeah right. they're incredible animals, and those are actually the ones that get the longest in the U.S. Um, so those are incredible how, as well. So I just love all. Those can get like four feet, like three, four feet long, but they're oh they're not as wide. Yeah, but they can. <laughs> there's like really cool pictures, but that's like massive size one. Yeah. Like they're they're mostly you know you're gonna have them in a smaller range, but um, wow. and, and some of those like especially sirens and amphiumas, they've been really understudied. Mm -hmm. So we don't entirely know a whole lot <laughs> like about them. So um, 
yeah, it's they're they're more common than some of the other salamanders, which is good, but uh, they they're just amazing. Like I could talk about like aquatic salamanders all day long. Well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, we had a couple more donations. Anonymous to fifty dollars. Sj with ten dollars. Skeddy with five dollars. So we're at seven hundred and thirty-five dollars uh, and twenty cents. Um, okay. More more questions about, I guess, the difference between salamanders or between salamanders and other things. So Max said, since salamanders are amphibians, what makes them different from reptiles? Yeah, I, that is a great question. And I think it's sometimes confused thing. I learned this a couple years ago that I think sometimes the way we teach amphibian is not always the best way to understand it. Because, like, typically we talk, like, amphibians, like, the land and the water, right? Mm -hmm. Or they go between the land and water. But that can be confusing because, like, there's turtles that go between land and water. And there's, you know, we live in Florida right. where we have alligators and they do the same thing. So mm -hmm. that's not always... And there's also amphibians that never really go in water. So it's not always the best thing. So the way I usually recognize it is that there's two things that I usually think about when I'm thinking about the difference between reptiles and amphibians. And a lot of it has to do with um, how well they keep moisture in. Okay. So um, with amphibians, like we know we can walk around in the heat and like we sweat, but like, you know, we have like a covering on our skin that sort of helps us um, retain moisture and reptiles have the scales and they can sort of do that as well. Amphibians have like permeable skin, which basically means like they their skin can like directly take in and out things from the environment. So some some amphibians breathe directly that way. So they're directly doing oxygen, you know, gas exchange directly through their skin. But um, because of that, that's usually why you'll find them around water. And even if they're out, they'll usually need to be in like moist areas because they can dry out really quickly. Right. And you'll find the same kind of pattern with their eggs. So some people have seen frog eggs before they kind of look like fish eggs they're in the water they're very like i i actually take out bowls of um water beads you know some people play with water beads or they have them in uh like flowers those like wet beads that you put in water and they expand uh -huh. that's really what like a lot of amphibian eggs feel like so they're very squishy and but if you take them out of that water they're just gonna dry and die out right. so um whereas reptile eggs they have more of a shell around them so they can be um, laid in more dry places and not dry out. So those are like the big differences. So most reptiles like lizards will have scales and that's not really something that you'll see on an amphibian. So if yeah. you see scales on something like that um, usually a lizard. <laughs> yeah, so there are, there are also a couple questions about what's the difference right between salamanders and lizards are salamanders just wet lizards? That's <laughs> one of them yeah that's what it's a common question and i can see like they look a lot alike they have the same we call it the body plan you know they have a similar pattern of the way they look so uh -huh. it's a very valid question but yeah it's mostly just about do they have skin that keeps them wet or dry or the, or not or the eggs but they are totally separate groups of animals so they're not directly related so reptiles are over here amphibians are over here it's funny because at some point um once upon a time, I think because of that herpetology, which is like the study of reptiles and amphibians, it literally means the study of things that crawl. Oh. So I think they saw things that looked similar and mm -hmm. thought they were the same thing. And then over time, we realized that they weren't. So they've kind of just grown to have similar body <laughs> types, yeah. I guess, in that in that case. But um, yeah, they're definitely separate things. They're not the same. But okay. they, you know, so evolutionarily wise, there's distance between them. 
but um yeah it's uh it's a good question so i always think about whether they have that covering you know on their skin on their eggs that's the main way you can tell them apart yeah okay um Tripod tip $30, Sam tip 13, and three tip three, so we're at 781. Um, another question I've gotten a couple variations of is, are there salamanders that are poisonous? And if so, which ones? Yeah, we are. <laughs> um, I, I was actually thinking about this last night because I figured it would probably come up. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some species of newts, especially, um, that are known for having toxins on their skin. Um, People sometimes are familiar with toads that have some toxin types on their skin, but right. there's a sal- there's some salamanders. Uh, that, so newts, that's another thing I should specify. Newts are technically within the salamander family. So they are like a newt is a salamander. Um, so I should clarify that before I move forward. But, um, but those newts, some of them are known for having really toxic um, properties. And so they kind of have glands and they can, you know, put toxin through their skin Mm -hmm. and that's um one thing that they do there was actually there's this really cool like long-term study that's gone on where there's actually they call it like an evolutionary arms race and it's kind of like there's there's this very toxic newt and then they they thought it was toxic but then they realized that it had so much toxin and they couldn't figure out why would it have that much toxin because Mm -hmm. You know, it takes a lot of energy and stuff to make that. So you don't really want to make more than you need. And right. you don't need to be, like, taking down huge animals when you're this tiny little newt, right? Mm-hmm. So then they found out that there were these garter snakes that are eating the newts. And so they started figuring out that these things are kind of in a race to, like, like the the snake learned how to, like, evolve to be able to eat the newt. And then right. the newt evolved to like have stronger toxin and then they would keep going back and forth oh, wow. <laughs> and so now this new is like really toxic um yeah That's so interesting. i've never yeah i've never really heard like i there's a wives tale about about like a camping group supposedly getting a newt in their water and uh-huh and dying from that i don't know like i've never been able to fully verify it myself but right. that story is out there but they they are toxic <laughs> you don't want to don't want to do that <laughs> i can't imagine it would end well okay. so yeah there are there are ones that are poisonous um and then there's other ones that aren't at all so yeah okay. it's it's interesting <laughs> um some more questions so Side Robin asked, how is salamander abundance and distribution affected by climate change? Uh, yes. Um, we are still figuring that out to mm-hmm. some degree. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a number of different ways that it can affect it. So I can tell you one thing that we're worried about, um, that I've been worried about, that I've noticed, and we don't know really the, the impact of it or how much it's affecting them, but even things like... Um, like as flooding can increase in certain areas if you're in a stream and it floods a lot that can be quite dangerous because all of a sudden you have these huge boulders like slamming around in it you know animals die in those big floods mm-hmm. or they get washed downstream unless so that's something we're worried about but as far as um temperatures um most salamanders like um cooler temperatures there are some that can do better so obviously if there's places that heat up too much 
salamanders aren't going to be able to survive there. Right. Um, we've seen that a lot in areas. Uh, same kind of thing can happen when um, like clear cutting happens. So salamanders typically aren't don't do very well under clear cutting. There's some species that are a little more hardy than others, but because um, the same kind of thing, it, you know, it dries out the ground. So it dries out the ground. Um, it can increase the temperatures. There's all sorts of things that can happen there. I think for the big one that affects a lot of salamanders, and it depends on the species. So a lot of people think about tadpoles, how, you know, the frogs have tadpole stage. There's mm -hmm. salamanders that have similar things. Um, and the, uh, so they have to go to ponds and lay eggs and uh, the larvae will, will, will emerge there. But um, as the temperatures changed, there's often changes in breeding times and all that sort of thing. So we, I, I don't know if there's been any full research on this, but I know it, that people have been looking into like how this, you know, how this affects, you know, what happens. And we don't entirely understand always the cues that cause these amphibians to come out. There's some salamanders that live underground most of the year, and then all of a sudden they'll come out. <laughs> We're like, why do they do this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, it seems to be rain. Um, and things like that. So again, all of those factors, like if you're getting cues from your environment and your environment's changing, like it can really impact there. And even like whether your pond even fills with water. So I was helping with a species um, that there was a bunch of droughts and for various reasons, but if you have droughts and all of a sudden the ponds don't fill up with water, then you don't have any breeding for a while. And that can really have a huge impact on the population too. Yeah. So I think it's something we're still totally figuring out, um, but there's definitely some concerning impacts that people are worried about. Okay, um, that was a that was a good question. Thank you. Um, and then mm -hmm. also, Absolutely. so what what would you consider are the the major threats then to to salamander conservation? I know that they talked about water quality um, in that Hellbender video, but I know you just talked about yeah. more of them, but. Yeah, there's actually a lot. And I think that's one of the really hard parts about, you know, there's these global amphibian declines where there's all these species that are disappearing in different places of their ranges. And um, the hard part about it is there's not always one answer. So okay. <laughs> sometimes you have to like really study an area and sort of figure out what's going on in that area to really understand it. But I will say, I mean, climate change is obviously a big one, but one of the biggest things for any species, I mean, amphibian or not, is often habitat loss. Um, and as we, for amphibians, that's especially important because a lot of them can't survive in urban, like salamanders at least. There's not a lot of salamanders that do really well in urban environments. There are some who can who can manage all right. Um, but there there's a lot of diversity that gets lost, um, when, you know, in those types of things. Pollution is a big one. So I think, you know, you'll remember as I talked about their permeable skin. So right. they're able to bring things in directly through their skin. They can't, like, if there's poison in their water, it, like, they it's they bring it right system, into their bodies. Right? Yeah. yeah. And there's certain stuff, I mean, if it affects, if, if the water is not uh, the right, you know, pH, the right temperature, the right oxygen levels, they basically suffocate because they're breathing that way. Um, so at least for some species. So there's other species that do breathe there, like sirens, they can breathe there, which is cool. Um, but that's probably why they're able to live in some more uh, polluted type waters. But um, it's, yeah, I think habitat loss, 
habitat we call it degradation so like you know if if people are changing land types and they may still be able to live there but the habitat's not as good as it once was that's right. a huge problem um but i mean when you're out there you see how much land has changed and then the ha they, they're salamanders they can't fly away like birds right. you know we're seeing changes in migrations and stuff so i guess that was a good thing to mention with climate change too um you know they can't just get up and pack up and move down the road right. um they're stuck there so if the conditions aren't great they're kind of in a lot of trouble yeah. and you'll see the same thing like in stream dwelling salamanders it's not they can't really just hop up and go to the next river they're stuck in that river system so if that river system something happens in there they're just stuck there and so oh. they make it they make it and if they don't they don't so it is a challenge i think with yeah with some of these animals that aren't able to just easily get up and move it's it can it can be a big challenge right so and yeah just crossing roads like for a little animal like that sometimes is there's there's there are really cool things i don't like to dwell on all the depressing stuff because mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of hopeful things too but um but there's cases where even like roads have been built across where um some of these animals go to breed and they can't get across because there's right. cars coming and they're slow and like yeah. you see that with a lot with turtles and things too but um yeah so there's but then there's groups that come together and they have patrols now in some places where they help the animal you know the salamanders cross the road which is really cool oh no way <laughs> and so, yeah That's they call so them the salamander brigades they're Aww. amazing um they always make me happy every year and it's kind of a big sign of spring coming too so it's you know when the salamanders start coming out to breed in the ponds it's usually an early sign that spring is coming up so um How it's kind they... of nice just sorry go ahead no, go ahead. I was just gonna. So, do they all cross like around the same time? Like, how do they know when to be there to? Yeah, I mean, we're still. There's usually some sort of environmental cues. I like I said, we don't entirely <laughs> always know what uh -huh. those are, but there's usually like rain involved. So right. there's usually something with the temperature and the rain, but it's not. Doesn't seem to be just that. <laughs> so, and these are only certain types. There's other types of salamanders that breed very differently. So, I, this is like a certain group of salamanders that does this. That's so cool. Um, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they're called. They that group's called like the mole salamanders. So they'll they basically once they come out of their ponds, a lot of them will live underground for a lot of the year, and then they come out, they get cued, and they all know to come. Yeah. So it's amazing. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's really cool. Oh, Greek. Tip $77. Thank you so much. Um, and then SMK tipped 30, Terabuck tipped 20, uh, Cloudy tipped 5, Mac tipped 8, and Alex with 5, Timmy with 5. Uh, so we're at $932.77. Thank you, Greek. I appreciate that. Um, okay, let's see. More questions. More questions. Um, so those are so those are uh, the the issues that they're facing. Um, in terms of the risks that they're facing, how do we mitigate those risks, and how and why should we? So, so what do they do for their environments? That's that's important. Yeah, I am a huge salamander nerd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I obviously just love We've them. We've noticed. And they're amazing. <laughs> it's great. Yes. So you look at them and you're like, yeah, they're so cool. But um, they have a lot of important things that they do in their environment, and they also have a lot of t to teach us. So I'll go into that second, but. Um, Salamanders are really interesting because they're kind of this um, loop in in a lot of places where they're kind of like the middle ground in some of the food webs. So they're kind of connecting some of those, we call them trophic levels, but like the, the lower 
I don't want to call them. I don't say lower as like look down on them right. lower, but we just. <laughs> I think like I will tell you right now, insects are probably one of the most important parts of the ecosystem. A whole ecosystem would collapse without them. So yes. it's not a value judgment, but we call them like things under that they eat, right? Mm-hmm. So they're helping balance the things underneath them that they eat. Which then there was a cool study where like the salamanders there determined how much leaf litter existed or, you know, because they're impacting those things that break down the leaf litter. And so that that's really important. And then at the same time, the things above them, they're kind of that central ground where they're filling that need to, to serve those upper levels in the food web. So in a lot of cases, those salamanders or, you know, amphibians in general are kind of the central link in in a food web. So without them, it could be very disastrous. Um, and we know in some cases they can help control certain things that people don't like, like certain insects that can spread disease. It's like frogs are kind of known for that, but amphibians can do the same kind of stuff. Um, and, but one of the things that I think is fascinating, I think as humans, we sometimes miss what we don't know and we don't even know what we have sometimes so it's gone so there's so much to learn from the natural world and i think salamanders are a huge example of that so i know a lot of people love axolotls they're like the the beautiful like charismatic yes. salamander that a lot of people are familiar with they've, they've gotten very I love popular them. Yes, I love them too. A lot of people don't they're like almost extinct in the wild, which is sad, but they're very common in um, you know, for pets and mm-hmm. and they they're wonderful animals. But they found out that like they can regrow, they not only regrow their limbs, but they found that they can regrow their organs. Like they can regrow hearts what? and brains. Yeah. So like these things, you know, they seem like we kind of look down and they're just these little salamanders and they have so much they can teach us. And so a lot of like the medical community is looking in on them to find out how oh, they that's do these the, things. There are a couple questions yeah. about about that but i didn't know what they were asking like what do you think of the use of axolotls as a research model and i i didn't really know what he was talking about okay yeah that's probably part of it i mean i have mixed feelings i mean now at this point like they're all bred in captivity right um and they're obviously (laughs) it's hard because i like work on you know sometimes thinking about how to get people interested in reptiles and amphibians and so i always sort of and i grew up having pets and all these sorts of things so it's hard for me, like, I go between this, these ideas of, like, you know, it's it has a capability of not only helping advance, you know, medical research that could ultimately help people, but also that they're obviously loved and adored by so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think if they were still out in the wild, no one would really be paying any attention to it. So yeah. I wish that, like, there was more of a, that more of that would go back into the conservation of the animals mm-hmm. um, and helping preserve them in the wild too. I, I sometimes wish that was it's happening more. Because of the the boom in popularity for axolotl, because I know I just like started seeing them online. I don't know when, mm. but all of a sudden it was just videos and pictures of axolotls everywhere. Does, <laughs> does them, uh, do their numbers in the wild, does it have anything to do with the pet trade? Is Or is it mostly like habitat loss and the stuff that we were talking about? Um, Originally, I I don't know if anyone's like proven this f- for sure, but I think the pet trade definitely had an impact them originally. But at this point, it's been separated for so long. Mm-hmm. Like once you get to the point where you have like all these color marks and everything, it's a totally like they're totally separate right. at this point. Yeah. Um, okay. But I think originally, yeah, it was probably an issue. They're also 
kind of limited in where they live. So that's another thing. There's a lot of these species that are like really like we call them endemic. So they're like living in these tiny little areas. So it doesn't take much for one thing to go wrong. And then, you know, there's there there's not like backup <laughs> plans for them. Right. So there are like I think they did end up finding a few um a couple years ago. They hadn't found any in a while. So they exist. But they look very I mean the wild types don't exactly look exactly like the the ones that the the cute pink ones that we see in captivity usually right. but i i don't know why they blew up a few years ago but you know they're cute me i mean, I mean they look like they're smiling yeah, I don't, all the time i don't know people think yeah sirens are like that too yeah. i mean i see sirens they've got very like puppy dog looking faces and i think like sometimes i go between that because like i don't like to anthropomorphize animals right. because they're not they're not humans yeah. but at the same time i think i think those traits you know, when we're dealing with animals that people just, you know, I, I've done snake projects too. And like, you know, people just want to kill them all. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'm, <laughs> you know, whatever way we can connect with people. And I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. I, that, that whole idea is so too. interesting <laughs> of, of what like people, um, like what people really connect to. And I've tried, I've thought about it a lot and tried to figure out like what it is. Is it the big eyes? Like, is it the you know, the occipital ridge mm. or whatever. Um, I feel like owls look, this is now I'm going on a tangent. Owls have these huge eyes, oh, no. but they also look kind of angry, but everybody loves owls, you know, but they always <laughs> look so pissed off. I don't know. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but people fall in love yeah. with, with certain species. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. The big eyes I've heard mm -hmm. that big eyes kind of are a sign of young mammals so hmm. most young mammals so it it kind of triggers something in us Isn't like there a word you know that? The... is that like neoteny or something yeah, i can't well neoteny is yeah there's neotenic is kind of like when things retain like juvenile traits so yeah. a lot of these salamanders like gills like when we're talking about the gills that they have those are considered a juvenile trait so uh -huh. a lot of those are considered neotenic but um they uh yeah, I don't know exactly. There is a term for it, though, but there, there's, yeah, I think it, it kind of, it's almost like a primal instinct. I think it, yeah. it comes in, like, and it's, you know, there's possibly, you know, these animals that in some places have been dangerous to humans that, that could be at play. There's some of it, but a lot of it to me, like, I will see kids, like, their little kids are usually less afraid and i think mm -hmm. sometimes the society you know it's it's normal it's what happens when you're around people who are afraid those things get passed on and so yeah um a lot of it's cultural there's a lot of, like you look at movies i actually was just talking about this recently because i got really excited because a lot of the newer disney movies there's a lot of like positive portrayals of reptiles and amphibians which is really different than like the his you know you always think of what the bad the bad animal is in the books and the movies right. and it's almost always a reptile or yeah. amphibian so it's kind of nice to see that getting challenged more recently but um you know it's a very cultural thing i think that those fears and things are passed on as well right. so um but it's been it's really it's really neat too to see people you know all of a sudden realize that i've i've taken out snakes to so many places and like they think they're slimy or yeah. whatever and then they touch it they're like that's not what i thought it was at all mm -hmm. and so Sometimes you'll get people and then they'll, they won't even touch it at first and then they'll come back and back and then they're fascinated by it. Right. The next thing you know, they won't leave. So it's really cool to watch that happen. But I mean, I don't judge people for it. It's, you know, we're afraid of what we're afraid of. It's not, you know, we can't help that. So, right. um, and it, 
but it's nice to see some of those things sort of, you know, changing a little bit, like with the axolotls and, mm-hmm. you know, some of those. Okay, before I before I ask you more questions about that, uh, more donations. Yeah. So, Bug with four dollars um, and a question. So I'll ask that question in a second. Uh, Raptor with five, Cloudy with twenty, Belita with ten dollars. It's a second donation. Uh, Quentin with six dollars or with thirty, Sluz with one hundred, and Danny with eighty eight. Oh. Um, so we're at we hit our thousand dollar goal a little bit ago. So we're at one thousand one hundred ninety eight dollars. Um, Thank you all. So, Bug donated a question. Said, "I love how they death roll the same as Crocs and alligators. Are they related?" Okay, so we talked about that a little <laughs> bit before in the podcast. You can go back in the vod if you want to find that question. Um, but I do want to stay on this uh, what we are talking about because there have been lots of questions about like the ethics of keeping them as pets, and we're kind of like, yeah. on a roll and talking about that. Can you can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I will say just briefly about the death roll thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is fun to see them. Yeah. I actually had a help. I've only gotten bit by a hellbender once and because they're usually pretty chill. But mm-hmm. um, one bit me and it did the death roll thing. Oh. Luckily, they have pretty short teeth, but it's, you know, they don't let go. They're, it's, <laughs> it's... <laughs> but yeah, you'll go back. You'll see the rest of the, the explanation of that. But um, the ethics of pe- keeping them as pets. I think for me, um, there's a lot of biologists that won't agree with me. So this is my opinion at this point. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't speak for all herpetologists or all salamander biologists. Um, for me, there are some issues. Um, currently, there's a disease that's uh, potentially is spreading. Well, it is spreading in Europe. It hasn't gotten to North America yet. And so some of that, they're trying to keep it from coming in the countries. And there's certain species that are more susceptible than others. So I think um, big thing that you have to keep in mind is one with all herps, try to find a species that has been, you know, adapted to captivity for a long time. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, I'm not a big fan of going out and catching things in the wild and bring them back. I, it's just not my thing. So, but there's right. plenty of species that, you know, they breed readily in captivity. So they're not taking animals out of the wild. They're not, you know, affecting populations. And so I think that's really important. So you always want to be sure that you source them well. Okay. Um, and um, like if you, it's, it's, you know, I think it's, it's similar to like what you would have with dogs and cats. Like, you know, it, you know, there's, there's rescues. You can rescue some, mm-hmm. the, you know, if you do want to get one from a breeder, find a reputable breeder, and find species that are not being taken from the wild. But the number one thing ever, <laughs> never, ever release them. Uh-huh. So, and you need to know what you're getting into because they're not cats and dogs. They're not, you know, they, some of them um, have very high requirements of, you know, keeping them alive. They're like, I was talking about how sensitive some of them are to their environments. You know, if the water goes off, you can kill them very quickly. So, um, you know, you need to make sure you know what you're getting into and that you're committed. So, you know, even salamanders are salamanders that can live 20, 30 years. So you want to make sure you know what you're getting into and that you have a plan for that animal, just like you would with any other kind of pet. Right. I think um, that would surprise it, a lot of people too. I was surprised when I read that today when I was doing some research. Uh, 30 mm-hmm. years is way longer than I expected. <laughs> yeah. They think, I don't know if anyone saw it. There was like a big thing like going around the internet because somebody, <laughs> the headline was basically they have these things called ohms. They're uh-huh. actually related to mud puppies. They're in the same family as mud puppies, but they, they live in caves in Europe and they are amazing. 
and I've heard stories that they may have um, triggered some of the early dragon myths because they live in caves and they would get washed off. They thought they were baby dragons, yeah, but they because of that the real yeah the real light. But somebody did the study that they like don't move, <laughs> and so they got really pot like everybody's like oh it's a salamander don't no, that hasn't moved in seven years or whatever. So they got, uh, <laughs> and people were like same, <laughs> so <laughs> so that got kind of kind of popular for a while. But those they think can live like seventy five years or something more Holy than that. Cow. So. Yeah, and you know some of the hellbenders, we don't even entirely know how long they can live. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a commitment. And but the one number one thing is don't ever, ever, ever release yes. <laughs> anything in the wild, like whether it's a reptile or a amphibian or a fish. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think people are well-meaning when they do that, but um, a lot of these animals can't do very well in the wild once you have them but also you don't know what diseases you're transmitting to the natural environment you don't know if you're bringing in a predator that doesn't belong there that could mess up the whole ecosystem right um so yeah make sure you always have a plan for it um i'm not going to tell people not to have pets i have pets growing up Mm -hmm. and it's probably one of the big reasons that i do what i do i fell in love with them that way so um but i think if you're gonna do it you need to be ethical about it and you know be responsible pet owners basically yeah absolutely um hill house thank you for the 20 dollars. okay so we are i can't believe it's already past three that went so fast um, <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> so let me do is it can i do a couple more questions you have a little bit of time yeah i got time okay. i love i like i said i can nerd out about this all day okay so. <laughs> great um so the first one Hard question. Max asked, do you have a favorite type of salamander? <laughs> oh, that is hard. I mean, hellbenders are my first love, and right. that's, like, how I got into salamanders. Um, so I have to, like, you, there's something, when you see their faces, they have these, like, they're just little flat. They're really flat because they try to fit under rocks and stuff, but uh-huh. they're really flat, and they have these round, flat heads and these tiny little eyes, yeah. and they're just, like... And they're so squishy and slimy, and um, I love them. And there's something really cool, I think, um, when you're in a river. I don't encourage anyone to do this. It's not even, like, you know, a lot of these species, like, don't just go out and try to find them because some of them are protected. And um, you also have to be really careful when you're going harping that you put everything back and don't mess up habitat because you can, you know, really harm things. So I hate saying that because I don't want to, but there's ways to find other animals just mm-hmm. make sure you look at the rules and stuff if you ever want to go try to find um certain animals in the wild but um basically you pick up these rocks and like you know you're left in rocks you know i mean there's still cool stuff underneath it you're finding stuff all over the place but then you lift up this rock and this hellbender is just sitting there yeah and it just and you get so excited and like it never gets old like you're <laughs> you're spending all this time you know looking under rocks and then finally one happens and it's like the first time it's still yeah. like the first time it never gets old That's so yeah so cool. hellbenders are definitely one of my favorites i also love sirens a lot uh-huh. because sirens have like five di- they have like four wait no sorry three different ways they can breathe i mean it's so cool they can breathe through lungs they can breathe through the gills they can breathe through their skin i mean oh there's so many cool things i also like like I don't have a favorite, obviously, but <laughs> I love ohms that I just talked about a minute yes. ago. There's a couple really cool species. There's one um, that I I think it's I'm not sure what they call the common name right now. Sometimes they change, but it's called the Siberian salamander. They actually freeze in the permafrost, and oh. you can just like it can come out after that. 
there's one that has like wolverine ribs so it actually has ribs that can like protrude through its skin and then as they go through the skin they have like toxins on their skin so it's like it's got these like toxin barb ribs that come through its skin to protect itself uh that's the the iberian newt iberian newt ribs that came from google so oh wow yeah yeah, it's amazing. Oh so, gosh. like, <laughs> there's just so That's many cool rips? ones. I, yeah, <laughs> the things what? poking out through the side, those are actually, like, part of its ribs. So, it's amazing. Um, That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, I, I think there's so many cool ones. And even, like, there's not any that I don't love. Like, I'll be <laughs> giving more common ones every time I find one or I see one or I hear about one. I get really excited. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. <laughs> so to answer you, that was a really hard question because I, I <laughs> it's like five. No, that's great. That, that's so cool. Um, Timbo to fifty dollars or one thousand two hundred and sixty-seven dollars and ninety-five cents. Um, okay, so last question I'll ask here: um, If there are what about twenty-five hundred people? that are watching and obviously not everyone can donate and not everyone uh you know is around somewhere where they can volunteer or or whatever so so what do you think that the average person can do to uh engage in conservation efforts for salamanders thank you so much for asking that that's like probably one of the most important questions sometimes we spend so much time talking about how cool the animals are what's going on with them that we just forget to remind people Uh how to help um there's a lot of things i think um on an everyday scale, it's good to remember, especially for animals that I work with that are water associated, that everything you do in your life that ends up in the water ends up affecting these animals mm-hmm. at some point. And so it can be little things like, you know, conserving water. It can be not putting as much pesticide on your lawns um, or herbicides because those end up getting run off and put into the water. Um, like... There's also in places where they use salt on the roads, um, there's there's alternatives to that. The salt is actually really bad for amphibians. Oh, okay. um, so that's another thing you could focus on. Um, yeah, I think just thinking about your daily life, I think it's something sometimes we forget is that everything we do has a link in, in the broader world. And so trying to think about what you do on a daily basis and how that affects um the animals i do have um if you go to the fc cell website there's a link um called the amphibian report card and there's a mm-hmm. section on that um that has a, a list of things you can do um or to get involved and so that's a great resource to start there cool um yeah but i think some things are really human oriented um other thing uh another big one is bait um so i didn't really get into this earlier but there's a lot of issues with um bait and moving bait that can affect salamanders so uh try to get like locally you know make sure you're getting something that's part of the local environment and things that you're not bringing an invasive species um things like that um even bringing fish like don't if there's a fishless pond those are usually where amphibians breed because once you put fish in them they usually eat all the larval Uh, um, amphibians uh so don't like if you cannot stock those you know, or put fish in those. That's another great thing. There's lots of little things all over the place that people can really do to help. So, um, those yeah. are great. Those but are good I, answers. Yeah. Um, so Danny linked that amphibian report card here. I'll link it again in case you guys Thank want you. to check it out. Here you go. Um, 
Cal tipped twenty dollars, uh, so we're at one thousand two hundred eighty-seven dollars and ninety-five cents. Um, if you guys want more information in the future, you can do command guest if you want to get to Kirsten's socials. Uh, so you can follow her on on Twitter. Um, you can do command org if you want to read more about um, about the foundation uh, for the conservation of salamanders. Um, Kirsten, thank you so much for for thank answering you. all these questions, <laughs> guys. Great questions. The big sock just tipped a yeah. hundred dollars. Um, oh, so $1,387. Thank you. Uh, we do a poll at the beginning of the podcast where we, um, say, or where we ask how much people care about the conservation of whatever species we're talking about. Um, at the beginning yeah. of the podcast, it was 55% said they were neutral. Um, so we're going to do a poll at the end here once I do all my closing and whatever, and I'll send you the results of it. Um, That's so awesome. you can see how many people learn yeah. things. So... Yeah, very cool. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and thanks everyone that joined and asked questions. It's awesome to talk about salamanders with you all. <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. Thank you. And I'll also send you the total uh, donation amount, and it's going straight uh, into their PayPal. So I will message awesome. you on Twitter. Well, thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. So do the salamanders. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Oh, she's so sweet. She is so sweet. Okay. Um, that was wonderful. $1,387.95. Cal Mac with $10. Thank you. I know we went like a little bit over... Not that you guys care. We went a little bit over time because uh, that intro video was um, really long. So so that talk felt, by it went, felt like it went by really fast. Um, but... Feels good to see people really enthusiastic about animals. Isn't it crazy? Like you get these you get these species that you never really think about, and then we talk to people and it's just like their life. It's like they're like, I love this thing. They're just like so excited about it. And it makes you excited about it. You know, that's some of the best guests are just are the ones that are, you know, that have that energy. So wonderful. Okay. Um chat. Now we see. We're going to see if the quiz looks any different, okay? Um, I'm not sure if it's going to, okay? But we QuizKit reached out to me um, and said that they really liked what we did with the quiz on the podcast, which is really, really cool. Um, and I felt really good about that. And so they made us a custom skin. Um, Sean, thank you for the $50. They made us a custom skin for the podcast. Uh, and if it doesn't show up today, it'll show up next week, okay? Because this is the first time it's... Uh, this is the first time it's happening, so don't get your hopes up too high. But hopefully, thank you, QuizKit, for working with me and my team. Um, they they talked to all of us, and and we've been this has been in the works for a while. So we're gonna do the quiz. The way that the quiz works um, is there are five questions, and they're already they've already been written by Chuck. Um, they're based off of the conversation that I had today with Kirsten. So if you were here. It's not like a, it's not a hard quiz. It's just, if you were here, then, then you'll know and you should participate. Um, Micah, thank you for the 550, 545 and Cal, Cal Mac again with $50. Thank you so much. And then a zippy, a zippy with another big dono, a zippy with $50. So the big old 1500, now it's 1600. <laughs> So, thank you so much. Sorry, these are these are coming through. It's uh, a little behind here. Um, okay, so the quiz. 
five questions, 20 seconds per question. Um, you get points based on getting the questions right and answering them the fastest. I will read you the questions before I start them, but, or before the quiz starts. You will have um, instructions if you do command quiz. If you've never done this before, you have to click enable access so that I can see your username. Otherwise, it'll put you as a number, so you can't, uh, can't win the quiz, but you can participate on mobile, on your, on your PC, on iOS, whatever. Uh, I do need to create the quiz, though. So I'm going to do that. Hang on. It'd be really cool if this worked, but honestly, I don't know. <laughs> so. All right, I'll be back in a second chat. We're also trying uh, to import a CSV this time, whereas normally I, I like manually enter the quiz questions that Chuck has written in a separate doc. I'm also gonna try that today. So please forgive if there are some technical issues. Earth Eclipse with $20, thank you so much. I will be back hopefully pretty fast if this import works and if the skin works. But enjoy your, your jammies for, for like a minute or two. Okay, I'll be back, thank you. That was so easy. <laughs> All right. Um, Cobra with $25. Thank you so much. Um, Orion with the ruse. All right, your quizzes. Here we go. All right, chat. Are you ready for the quiz? The first question. Um, your site doesn't work. Sometimes it crashes. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, You'll be able to click it when it pops up on screen, okay? Um, the first question is from the video, from the intro video. And the question is, what percentage did the intro video give for the estimated population loss? Okay, I know I said the quiz isn't hard, this is hard. This is this one a while back, but here we go, this is the first question. Is it 50 to 60%? It's sending the rules to you guys. The options are 50 to 60%, 75%, 25%, or 80 to 90% population lost, according to the video that we watched in the intro. No skin. Next time. <laughs> Next time. At least you know that, that it's uh, a thing. All right. The correct answer is 80 to 
estimated population loss. The next question is far easier to make up for the hard question. 88 people got that right. The majority, I mean, more people got that right than any, more people guessed that than the other questions, so, or the other answers. Good job. The next question is, which eating utensil is tied to salamander conservation? Is it straws, sporks, spoons, or chopsticks? I forgot to reveal who did that one the fastest. We'll do it on this one. Three, two, one. The correct answer is... Mass got it. Jot, what's the correct answer? You can say it now. The time's up. No. You're... Yes. Chopsticks. Well then, 191 people got that correct, but who got it correct the fastest? Allie by LOL. And Allie is in the lead. Not cool. Thank you for the sub. All right. Next question. Where is the highest level of salamander diversity? These are kind of tough. Is it uh, in U.S. East, U.S. West, East Asia, or South America? Some people are saying South America. Three, two, one. Chuck doesn't mess around. The correct answer is uh, in the Eastern US. <laughs> oh no. Melty. Cal is still getting them right. 133 people got that right, well done. Oh, the extension's not working for some people. I am sorry about that. Um, Tarkis got that right the fastest. Nearly a perfect score. One cram second. And Dibs in third. Uh, Tarkis is now in the lead, followed by, followed by Dibs. All right. The third... Or no, no, no. The fourth question. Second to last question here is, which group of salamanders in the U.S. is the longest? Longest. Not widest. Longest. Is it mud puppies? Is it, I don't want to say that name wrong. She said it. Amph, Amphima? Is it sirens or is it hellbenders? How do you pronounce that? We literally talked about it on the podcast. Is it the, Amphiuma, Amphiuma. Okay, well, the correct answer is, Amphiuma. Uh, no, it is not Hellbenders. Uh, that's tough. Longest. Hellbenders are, are two to three feet long. I think she said that Amphiumas can get, what'd she say, four to five? 
Um, but they're just much skinnier. All right, the last question. Wait, it'll do scores here. Contestant, contestant, Simon says go crazy. IJLI is now in the lead. Gosh, this extension has really been struggling lately. Okay, the last question is, which of these threats is one of the salamander's biggest threats in terms of conservation? Uh, this should not come as a surprise to anyone who comes back to the podcast every week. Uh, is it poachers? Is it pet trade, Chuck? If we're going to import a CSV and I don't have the ability to change these answers, is it habitat loss? Two, one, zero. What's the correct answer? Sadly, always the same answer. You're right. Uh, the correct answer here is habitat loss. Two hundred and forty-seven people got that right. Well done. Who got this question right the fastest? Does it matter for who won the quiz? We don't know yet. Let's find out. One cram got that right, but I J L I won the quiz this week. Are they a sub? No sub. Number. Gift a sub. All right, I'm gifting you a sub. Oh, your smiley face. Hooray! He said donate. I guess we can do that. Usually it's if you're not a sub, I'll gift you. And if you are a sub, you can pick one. But that's fine. Okay. All right. $5. Oh, he got a sub. Monkaroo, thank you. Okay. We are donating. Hold on. Hooray. Here we go. Okay. Good job on the quiz, guys. Um, think that's it for the poll. No. Time for the poll. Shall we? Space? Run the poll? Let's see where we're at. Um, while the poll is running, thank you guys for watching this podcast. Thank you for, if you come back to the podcast, it means a lot. Viewership was great. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, it's, it's really cool to see, to see the podcast doing okay. Uh, there was a time when I was in California where I was scared that we were going to drop under 1k doing this podcast. Um, so, uh, I, I appreciate if you watch a lot. Um, and if you donate, I really appreciate that too. But if you don't, that's okay. Uh, because like, this podcast, um, in particular, one of the biggest struggles that they have is just awareness and, and getting people to to think about the species, um, to think about salamanders. So if you're here, you are making a difference in that. So feel good about that. Uh, you're, you're doing a good thing if, if you're chilling here and, and hanging out with us. So thank you. All right, the current poll, how much do you care about salamander conservation after 
the end of the podcast after our conversation. Nice. So, in the first poll, 55% said they were neutral. At the end of the poll, 56% gave it a 4, and 24% said it was extremely important. It went from 55% to 13% saying that they were neutral on caring about the conservation of salamanders. Very cool. Thank you so much. Uh, I love this poll thing, and the guests really love it. I think it means a lot to them to come on uh, because they, they just care about the species so much, you know, and, and they just want people to care like they do. So seeing results like that uh, is really powerful to them. Um, so thank you for participating in that. And thank you for being honest with it as well. Um, if at the beginning you're like, I really don't care about this, then yeah, that's, yeah, I appreciate you being honest in the poll. Okay. That's the end of the podcast. Um, beyond the podcast, updates for me. Ori needs to fly. <laughs> um, it has been raining, so he hasn't. He's going to be low tomorrow, which means that he might not want to stay in the air for too long. Low in terms of weight. Um, he might not want to stay in the air for too long, but I am going to try to use the backpack if it's not raining. It's 50%. Um, and it says they're going to be on and off showers in the morning. I'm not going to fly him in the rain. So... If it's not raining in the morning uh, and the forecast changes, then I will fly him tomorrow morning. Uh, if it is raining, I probably have to wait until Monday and then I'll use the backpack uh, on Monday instead because Monday it's going to be sunny. So I'm hoping that tomorrow will be the first backpack stream uh, with Orion in the rain. Um, or not in the rain. No. Tomorrow will be the first backpack stream free-flying Orion not in the rain, hopefully. So yeah, Prage or whatever. Uh, and if not, then I will see you guys tomorrow night anyway, because we have housewives tomorrow night um, with a guest. What? Why are you all Pepe laughing? What? Do you know, do you actually know something that I don't? Because, all right, don't worry about what I just said. We're having housewives tomorrow. So, come watch housewives tomorrow night. Uh, and then I will hopefully be doing an IRL in the morning. Also, here's, okay, quick update for Alveas. I got approved for a loan. So I'm gonna try to put in an offer <laughs> on this property. Uh, Mox, thank you for the $10. Aki with the $10 as well. Um, I will keep you guys posted again. Don't get your hopes up too much. Uh, real estate's hard and confusing. So, ow, I'm doing my best. <laughs> um, Five-year plan down to a three-month plan. Yeah. <laughs> it, first of all, it was a three-year plan. And we'll see, okay? Also, I filed uh, for nonprofit status yesterday with an attorney. Ah, I need to talk to you about this. Um, should I talk to you about this now or should I just talk to you about it 
tomorrow because this is the podcast. It's fine. I'll just, I'll, I'm live. I'll talk to you about it now. Okay. So I met with an attorney yesterday. Um, and I, we filed for nonprofit status under Alvea Sanctuary. The trademark is not going to be a problem because it is called Alvea Sanctuary. Um, and she doesn't think that there will be any confusion because the, the company with the trademark is a tea company. And so it's a completely different industry. So we filed for that. Hopefully within a few days, we will be a Texas nonprofit. And after that, we just have to file with the IRS to get 501c3. However, we can start fundraising as soon as we're a nonprofit and say that our 501c3 status is pending. What that means is it may take them three months, six months to give us 501c3 status, but once we get it, uh, they make all donations up until that point from filing point tax deductible. Minnie Puffer, thank you for the $20. Does that make sense? So we can start fundraising while that while that 501c3 status is pending. They will still be tax deductible donations, but not until we're approved as a 501c3. So hopefully in a couple days, we'll be a nonprofit. And then in a couple months, we'll be a 501c3. Um, other exciting thing about me meeting with this attorney. And I think I've explained, I've explained to you the attorney situation, right? Like who she is, what the deal is. Yes. Kind of. So she is a founder of a nonprofit of her own. It is an equine rescue. So she rescues horses and donkeys off of feedlots, meat lots. Um, she rescues them for really cheap where otherwise they would be used for like dog food or like, you know, they just go to the slaughterhouse or whatever. Um, so she's got over a hundred horses and donkeys on her property. And the way that we've set this up is she's going to do all my paperwork and she's filing for me and she's being my attorney. And in return, I'm going to do a stream at her nonprofit with the horses and donkeys. We're going to do a fundraiser stream for her. And I'm also teaching her about like how to use social media for fundraising um, because I talked to her about the podcast and I, hello, I talked to her about the podcast and I talked to her about, uh, you know, about everything else. So um, I'm going to ask for your ideas on how you think that that stream, stream should go, because I know I'll use my backpack. Um, but beyond that, I need to figure out how to make it long, because I really, I mean, she's being really great for, you know, exchanging services in this way. Um, and it, you know, it saves me a lot of money, because obviously the nonprofit has no money right now. Um, so I want to do something really cool for her um, and her organization, because it's a wonderful organization, and, and they do really good stuff. So... We're going to do that soon. I have to get that set up with her. Um, it's a really super neat, like super neat deal. <laughs> I got really lucky in, what are you doing? Hey, close your wings. Um, whiskey, thank you for the five gifted subs. Okay. So, I think, no quiz for the fundraiser. What are you going to do for the podcast where you raise money for the sanctuary? I forgot that I was doing that. Um, sorry, there's a lot going on in my head. What am I going to do for the podcast where I raise money for the sanctuary? I think I'll probably sit down by myself once a week and just talk about ideas. And it'll be like, we'll do like one giant board <laughs> meeting, but the like with chat or something. And we can 
like pencil down just ideas for fundraisers and ideas for I have so many ideas in my head like I want to plan out videos I want I want videos for like all of the ambassadors that include conservation messages about their wild counterparts and like introduce the ambassadors when they come to the property I want to do an Amazon wish list and I want to do like P.O. box opening streams with with some of the close your wings bird where are you gonna go it's freaking me out um D -d 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 I, if I get Sydney at the property, I want to do P.O. Box opening streams with Sydney. <laughs> I think that'd be so cool. But I think, yeah, I think for the podcast um, itself, because I, I will, I'll contribute once a month to raising money for, for Alveas. I think I'll just sit and I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, and, and we can talk about ideas and like what I want to do and we can build, like plan out enclosures and you know, I'll just sit down once a week and like really get you guys involved in the process. Does that sound good? Or would you rather me structure it as a podcast? Because I can also try to find people that I can talk to that may be relevant. Both? No, that's fine. Can try different stuff. Let's, we'll do the first one to start. Yeah. And then we'll, uh, and then maybe we'll adjust it as we go on and and see how we feel and see what's most effective uh, in fundraising. Once we get nonprofit status, I'm Vit. Thank you for the twelve dollars. Um, once we get nonprofit status, I am going to launch the GoFundMe, or we're going to start curating the GoFundMe. Um, and we're already working on me, Dion, Finn, and Danny are all working on a video to kickstart the GoFundMe. It's going to be really cool. Um, I'm really excited about it. I, my goal, I think, is just to try to get as many people to watch the video as possible, as many streamers to watch it, so just that, so that people know that it's going on, you know, because I'm going to need a lot of support in, in making this happen, um, and obviously it's happening a lot faster than I thought. It's also, it wasn't really my plan to make it happen this fast, it's just this property is so perfect, um, and it just happens to be available right now. You know, like, it would be great, it'd be better if this was happening a year from now, but it's there, and, you know, it's there. So, Whiskey, thank you for the $70 donation. Yo, there's a bird back there. True. Um, okay. So, I think that those are the updates that I have for you. I will see you tomorrow. I will hopefully see you tomorrow morning. Pray that there isn't rain because I really want to fly my bird like really bad. Um, and then I will see you tomorrow night for housewives. And then we'll talk more about other stream stuff later because this is still the podcast and now I'm just starting to rant. So uh, I'm going to host somebody who. What is Erob doing? Is he doing something special? No. Oh, you guys always just tell me to do that. Uh. Oh my God. Moxie. Moxie. 
Okay, um, I'm going to get a raid started for Moxie here, and I will see you guys. I might see you guys tonight. I might do a people candle. I don't know, but I'll definitely see you tomorrow at some point. All right. Peace. Thank you so much for watching. Twitch is an untapped reservoir for doing good. I'll keep you guys posted on everything. I have a lot going on right now. I love you. Bye. You guys are amazing. Twitch is an untapped reservoir for doing good. Those of you who donate, thank you so much. It means the world to me and it means the world to those to those guests. It's still really important that you're here and that you're watching and that's amazing.